Believe it or not, Connor McDavid is a freak of nature. Uh, Adam Fox got paid. So did Morgan Riley. The Hawks made a coaching change. And the Jack Eichel sweepstakes have finally come to an end. We break it all down in this super busy episode 293 of the Lace Month Podcast, which starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And uh, I would think for most cases, the main topic would be uh, Jack Eichel. But before we get to the main topic, uh, spoiler alert, we're going to do we're gonna talk about something that Connor McDavid did in an yep. NHL game. Funny well, that. so the main topic is Jack Eichel, to be clear, but... Um, we'll, we'll be spending more time talking about that, but it is kind of ironic that the uh, we're going to lead this uh, this the episode with the guy who was drafted ahead of Jack Eichel in the draft, uh, Connor McDavid, of yep. course. Um, yeah, and and of course this is uh, an audio medium here, so we can't really say it. But I did want to point out and mention how awesome. That goal was uh, that Connor McDavid had on, I guess it was on Friday against the Rangers, um, where he, um, it was basically, what was interesting too, I don't know if you saw this uh, perspective or if you've been watching it all, but uh, so what happened was uh, Pouliot-Arvi, like, uh, so the Oilers are, you know, get the puck, McDavid gets the puck, and Pouliot-Arvi, uh, actually like clears the zone um and mcdavid uh just so that mcdavid can come in um and basically it's like an iso thing and all there's like four rangers um in the middle of the ice um and Connor mcdavid basically just goes um like just skates by all four of them and then of course skates uh and shoots it past georgiev and it, it was uh, like I, I know this is probably hyperbole, but um, he makes it look so easy. It's just like it's incredible watching him play. It's it's amazing. Like I w- I remember watching Sidney Crosby play. Uh, you know his rookie year, thinking like, okay, there's n- I like I'm never gonna see anyone better than Sidney Crosby play. McDavid has passed that at this point. Um, He's just incredible to watch. And, of course, you don't get me wrong, Sidney Crosby is incredible to watch as well. Ovechkin, of course, is incredible to watch. Um, but it's just, like, Connor McDavid can just turn the game on its head like no other. Like, because at that point, the Rangers were ahead, like, 4-5 or 4-1 or, or something like that. 5-4. But, yeah, but they... They were at 5-4, that goal to the game, and the Oilers won it. But the, but the Oilers scored, like, three unanswered before that. Um, and right. and And so, like, it's just, like, and that was the game-tying goal, and then, of course, the Oilers scored in overtime as well. But, like, that goal just changed, like, the Rangers just got utterly embarrassed. Um, it's just, like, changed the whole momentum of the game. And, of course, like, other players can do that. Um, you know, I've seen it in my own, uh, on my own team with Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand. But, like, it's just incredible that, like, 
he was able to do that. It was, it was probably the best goal I've ever seen. And I know it's probably recency bias and all that stuff, but it, it's just fun to watch. It's like, you know, I, I, I think it's like, you know, I've never seen Gretzky play live. I've never seen uh, Mario play live. And I guess technically I've never seen David play live since I've, I haven't been to a game with uh, Conor McDavid there. But it's... um. It's just like this is what I imagine what it was like watching in the '80s and '90s when you saw Mario and Kretzky play. Um, it's just um, it's just fun to watch, and yeah, it's it's incredible. I feel like he he could be better than Gret like Gretzky. Um, it's like the LeBron of hockey, basically. Now, yeah. Um, oddly enough, I've never watched Connor McDavid play live in an NHL game, but in an OHL game, I did once when they were playing the Ottawa 67s. He, he didn't even score on this play, but he made this great individual effort, absolutely addressed everyone. Yep. I've never been in attendance to witness Connor McDavid do what he did to the Rangers or even in that OHL play. He was still playing OHL hockey. I think that was the year after he was yep. drafted uh, first overall in 2015. And it was just absolutely mind-blowing, the things that, that he would do with the puck. Actually, no, it was his draft year because then, of course, he made the NHL team and yep. the rest is history. So it was 2014-15 when that happened. So in his draft year, I watched Connor McDavid uh, play for the Erie Otters. And just to even attempt that move in close quarters and just change the scene of um, just like the whole script of the game of hockey has just been flipped on its side just because of the things that this kid can do. And Zach uh, and Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are elite players, no question about it, and they're winners. But I can't recall them doing what Connor McDavid did in that situation yeah. where it's close quarters you're just entering the blue line you have three or four guys surrounding you you dig them out all out of their jock straps and then finish it off by fooling the goalie in just a matter of like three or four seconds maybe less than that the puck goes from the blue line it looks like a dead play and the oilers have just tied the game yeah mcdavid could be on like he, th this is how good McDavid is. He could be at his own red line, and he takes two steps, and the defender could immediately start panicking at his own blue line, just because Connor McDavid can go from zero to one hundred in a couple seconds flat. Yeah, and make it look so effortless. He's just so dynamic. Yeah, and I I haven't really seen that level of skill in so long since like Crosby because I remember in Crosby's rookie year, uh, I was watching all the Penguins games, um, or just early on with with Crosby there, and like he would do like a spinorama move just to pass to like I think it was Sergey Gonchar or something, and at that at that point it was like the biggest skill move that I think I've ever seen. Um, of course, Ovechkin's had that, like, that crazy goal where he's, like, on the ice and he somehow, like, mm -hmm. picks it up from his, like, he moves his stick around in some way where he scores. Um, it's, like, it was, like, a combination of skill and luck there. Um, so that's probably the biggest one. Rick Nash had a, had a nasty one when he was in Columbus. Um, I don't know if you remember that one, but, um, 
Yeah, yeah. Both, both of those goals that you just mentioned were actually against the Coyotes. So right, yeah, that's right. And for being involved in highlight reel plays at the wrong time. But yeah, yeah, and but this one just happened to be uh, against the Rangers. Yeah. Oh, and, and that's the other thing, too, is like the next night, Math, Matty Kachuk, uh, he uh, he did this like behind the back or behind between the legs where he wasn't even looking at the goal and he shoots it and it was against the Rangers. So it's like... The Rangers haven't had a great um, week or a great set of two games uh, just because yeah, of those two, two games goals. and two nights, 12 yeah. goals against. Definitely and and, and two of them were, like, probably, like, goal of the year candidates. And one is, like, yeah. goal of all time candidate. Um, so, yeah, it was just... Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't. I can't. I mean, I'm sure everyone's going to be talking about how amazing that goal was, but it it, it bears repeating. I know this is an audio medium, but um, it was it was just amazing, incredible. Um, and, and like this, this yeah. is the takeaway from from that goal. If you want to know how awesome it is, look at Connor McDavid's reaction immediately yeah. after he scored. Even he was shocked. He can believe that he just did that. Yeah, even it's he, crazy. even he was shocked. Yeah, and then. Um, I, I think he said, like, afterwards, like, that he never expects to be, like, have four guys on him or something like that, but but that's his job. And I was just thinking, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like, he gets paid a lot of money. Four guys on you and they still yeah. get scored. Well, no, I think he said something like, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, like, I get paid lots of money to score goals, and that was my job. And I did my job. <laughs> it's just like that's such a Connor McDavid Connor thing. McDavid it's just like right only only Connor McDavid can get away with saying that because that's such a cocky thing. <laughs> but like he said it so seriously, like like professionally. It's just like yeah, that's my job to score goals. Like, what do you want me to do? Um, so, anyways, um, we have a bunch of other things to talk about, especially because Jack Eichel got traded finally. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that, but we do have three other stories to talk about before that. Um, we do want to mention that uh, Morgan Riley got, uh, got um, his contract extended. Um, there was, um, we, we didn't, this actually happened last week, but because of the Chicago Blackhawks stuff, we decided to move this to uh, the following week. Um, even though we had a good sense that Jack Eichel was going to get traded so it was just going to be Morgan Riley and then Jack Eichel but then all this other stuff happened so um anyways Morgan Riley gets signed um gets extended uh he gets eight years for 7.5 million um I I mean I think Morgan Riley is worth this much he he does have eight assists zero goals this year but uh 12 games um if you look at their the Toronto scoring list though he's fifth um on the Leafs um in scoring right now so that just tells you how much he is and the other guys uh John Tavares Mitch Marner Willie Nylander and Austin Matthews are or I guess he's tied with Austin Matthews are the other guys that are, are getting paid a lot of money um uh, for, um, or getting, or the only guys, well, actually, I guess Willie Nylander isn't getting paid as much as Morgan Riley will be, but, um, but yeah, those are the four guys that are getting paid as well as Morgan Riley is, uh, which makes this contract kind of interesting too, because, because I think those five players are going to be, 
um, like make up like 25% or I, I'm sure you have the statistic of how much percentage they actually make of the, the Leafs cap situation. But it is interesting because Jack Campbell is playing out of his mind right now. He's a UFA this year. Um, and then you have uh, Rasmus Sandin, who's finally getting into his own. Um, and you could have that same situation of, like I remember when we were talking about Pulak getting his big payday. It's like, okay, there's Dobson in the midst. But, you know, uh, I saw Rasmus Sandin last night. Um, he looked pretty good, actually. <laughs> he, he, it seemed like he had the puck more often than um, Morgan Riley did. Um, and, yeah, he only has four assists in 12 games, zero goals. But um, compared to Morgan Riley, who has eight assists, um, I don't know. I, I could see Rasmus Sandin being, like, that go-to defenseman compared to Morgan Riley. And, of course, Morgan Riley is a, a great defenseman, and he's been a, their best defenseman for a while now. But it does it is a little odd just because it's like, well, you also have those four forwards and you have Rasmus Sandin in the midst too. Not to mention you have Jack Campbell who they're, they should probably sign um, long-term now as well. So it, it's, it's a tricky situation. So it's like, he is worth that much, but at the same time, they have all these other issues that now it's like, what, what is Toronto doing in the long term? I'm not really sure. So, um, obviously, we're probably going to talk about the Maple Leafs and their cat situation a bunch, so yep. I'm not going to delve too deep into that side of things, but I will touch on that uh, for a little bit. But I am going to tell you Morgan Riley's track record and how important of a player he is and why I do think this was the right decision. In his rookie season, he had 27 points in 73 games, coupled with 96 shots on goal, 96 hits, and 92 blocks, and 12 power play points. That Leafs team was average, didn't make the playoffs. He averaged 17.38 per game as a rookie. For a defenseman, that's very low. And yet, he was able to get nearly 30 points. Actually, 30 points on the nose if he played the full 82 games. And he got almost 100 hits, almost 100 blocks, almost 100 shots on goal. And 12 power play points with less than 18 minutes per game pretty impressive rookie campaign and in between those good and bad Leafs teams and one of them in 2015-16 was downright bad Morgan Riley was arguably their best defenseman and playing anywhere between 22-23 minutes per game so already he was becoming an important member of this Leafs core for years and years to come a guy that could hit block shots um, register um, the shots on goal and then you get to 2018-19, the only season where he got 10-plus goals, and he finished with 20. Yeah. And his best offensive season to date by a country mile. What you're going to get out of Morgan Radley in a typical season is around 23-24 minutes per game, about 160-170 shots on goal. He's had a couple of 100-block seasons. I think he can, he can definitely get there this year. Um, he's also had a couple of 100 hit seasons, although those came in his first two years. I don't know how likely that is. But for the most part, a premier offensive player. The defensive flaws, yes, that's a question mark. But, but if you're looking at me and asking, would you be willing to part with Morgan Riley and make 
Jake Muzzin, the number one defenseman on the Leafs. I don't think Muzzin is a guy that's suited to be a number one defenseman. I think he can be a really good number two, or as Alec Martinez showed in Vegas, like a really good number three defenseman. But I don't think you rest the defense entirely on the shoulders of Jake Muzzin. You need Morgan Riley there. The other thing is Rasmus Sandin. Is he ready to take that next step? Are you sure that you can give him those reins to take that next step without Morgan Rowley? And I'm not so sure on that. So on those two fronts, coupled with the fact that Morgan Rowley is their best defenseman, I think this is a wise pickup. And you also look at some of the extensions that have been given out to defensemen. This looks bad. This contract to Morgan Riley looks bad because of the previous lease captains. But when you look at the amount of defensemen that have signed mega deals, there are 19 defensemen since November of 2016. So that's five years ago. There are only 19 defensemen that have a higher cap hit than Morgan Riley. And Morgan Riley makes $7.5 million, which is absolutely good value for Toronto. Yep. So they're, they're going to have to make some tough decisions, yes. Um, I don't know about their goaltending moving forward, what they do with it. Um, I frankly don't care how good William Nylander is if he leaves the league in points. Uh, he might be the odd man out because... Yep. If you're going to sacrifice a lot of your defensemen and a lot of your goaltenders just to keep the core forwards together, it's going to be a failed experiment. So the Leafs made the right call, and the tough questions will hopefully answer themselves eventually. Yeah, I, I, that, that is a good point about Jake Muzzin it's, or, and, and Rasmus Sandin. I, I do think Rasmus Sandin will eventually surpass Morgan Riley, but I, I, I do agree that it's like, it's only a month in, um, so it is it is tough to tell. But, yeah, that is a good point that it's like right now Morgan Riley's the best defenseman, but maybe in like in even like three years now, Rasmus Sandin may uh, end up being the better defenseman than Morgan Riley is. So that's when it's like, okay, this contract may not look so good. But, yes, right, I agree with you. Right now he is worth that much money. Um I also, and then on top of that, if you if you choose to get veteran defensive help, yeah. there's Chris Letang, there's Colin Miller, there's Mark Giordano, yeah. there's Keith Yandel, there's P.K. Subban, and a bunch of question marks after that. Right. So, automatically, if he goes to the open market, he's probably going to get a lot more than Oh, yeah, of course. Million. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, we, we will talk, I kind of briefly touched on the, the cap situation, but um, this next year... Uh, Rasmus Sandin, speaking of Rasmus Sandin, and Timothy Lilligren are RFAs. Andre Cache and uh, Pierre Engvall are also RFAs. Jason Spezza is a UFA, and Jack Campbell is a UFA, as well as Joseph Wall. Um, and then I guess they have Ilya Mikheyev is a UFA, and Ian Scott is an RFA, but it looks like he's on long-term injured reserve. Um, but... Um, and then, like, the following year, you have Kerfoot, uh, I think I said that in Boston accent, you have Kerfoot, uh, you have Richie and Kampf, um, as well as Bunting and Wayne Simmons, 
Um, and then on the defensive side of things, you have Justin Hull and Travis Dermott as UFAs and RFAs, or I guess Dermott's the only RFA of those guys I mentioned in uh, the 2023-24 season, so in two, two years. Um, and, then, um, and then you have Matthews and Marner, uh, Muzzin and Brody as UFAs uh, in three years. Um, and then you have Tavares and Marner. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I messed this up. So Matthews and Nylander are UFAs in three years. And then Marner and Tavares are UFAs in four years. Um, and then, um, okay. And then, and then, yeah. And then I guess you have Peter Morazic as well in that mix the same year as Matthews and Nylander and Muzzin and Brody. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, like when you plan it out that way, it's, it's still crazy. And even like, I, so I just did the, like cap friendly has their own like cap percentage and stuff, um, where you can see with how much of a percentage of the cap that each player has on the team. So I combine Matthews Tavares, Marner Nylander and Morgan Riley, even though he's currently making 5 million, um, and uh, <laughs> it came up to 55%, or just 55, yeah, 55%. So that's even before the extension. Uh, so, so you have like pretty much half of your cap situation tied up to five players, um, which is uh, not great. I mean, of course, all, all five of those guys are worth it, but at the same time, it's like... Um, it, it makes it harder for you to build around that those five players because y you don't you know you have <laughs> uh, you know just a, not a ton of money left. Um, but maybe this is like maybe the Maple Leafs are hoping that the cap, um, the you know the cap will go up in the following years and that will certainly help them a lot. But um, but yeah, it just means that like okay, you have Jack Campbell. Who's who's like who could be a Vezina Trophy guy? I'm I'm gonna say it right now. He he looks incredible, um, and then you have Rasmus Sandin and Timothy Lilligren, who you want to sign as well, and then um, and and that's gonna be hard to do when you have, um, you know, a bunch of money tied up to five different players. So maybe William Nylander is the odd man out just because he is making six point nine million. Um, and you, and you could get good value for him, um, and that could help you sign guys like Sandine, uh, Lilligren, and uh, Jack Campbell. But, um, but yeah, it, it does seem like uh, it's going to be a tough um, off season for uh, Kyle Dubis uh, this year. Yeah, one of the reasons why I'm happy to be a Sens fan. <laughs> The rest is debatable, but I'm happy that they don't have that cap situation. I mean, I with that. if the Leafs do win the cup this year, then it, it you know, yeah, it's all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not even a problem anymore. It's just like, all right, we, <laughs> you, you did this all for the cup. So you have to think of it that way too. But yeah, it is kind of crazy when you think of it like long term, they're, they're kind of screwed. Um, all right, now we're going to the other defenseman that got signed. Uh, and that is Adam Fox. Um, Adam Fox, of course, he won the Norris Trophy last year. 
um, but he gets an extension as well. Um, I guess it, it, it makes sense, too, just that, like, not, not only Morgan Riley, but then you had uh, McAvoy a couple weeks ago, Warinsky, Seth Jones, uh, Kale McCarr, uh, Miro Heiskanen, uh, Quinn Hughes, um, a bunch of these defensemen, I'm probably missing a couple, um, were signed to long-term deals this year, and it, some got extensions. So I think it's just like all these other teams were like, okay, as soon as Warinsky got signed to that big deal, and Seth Jones got signed to that big deal, they were like, okay, we have to lo- make sure we lock up our guys as well, because they're going to use that as a comparable. Um, but anyways, it was Adam Fox gets... Uh, seven years or extends uh, to seven years for nine point five million. I think that's the same amount as. Um, uh, okay. Uh, oh no, it's not the same. It's not the same term, but it is the same amount as Charlie McAvoy, and uh, Wierenski and uh, Seth Jones got. But um, but yeah, I, I think both those guys had eight years as well. So I'm not, I'm not sure if that's. Um, if that's accurate or not. But anyways, uh, Adam Fox, he, uh, he had 47 points last year in 55 games. He won the Norris, as I mentioned. Um, he's also, like, really good defensively as well, which is one of the reasons why he got the, um, you know, the Norris as well, because it's not just that he can score, uh, but he can, um, you know, he can, he can also play defense as well. He had a 19 plus minus. I know that's kind of like an iffy statistic, but, um, but yeah, he, he, um, but that's still like proving that he's good on that sense. Um, he has a 50% Corsi four percentage, um, which is like takes into account all the shots, all the shots attempts, um, not just the ones that are on goal. Um, and that, that's, um, that's pretty good as well. Um, this year he had 12 he has 12 points in 12 games so a point per game player which is impressive considering how we just mentioned how the Rangers were embarrassed the last two days um, so uh, so yeah he's uh, so obviously the Rangers still have some issues but um, but yeah this this made this was a no-brainer as well which is like Adam if you see that Charlie McAvoy um, you see that Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones are making a ton of like 9.5. Then yeah, I I th- I think uh, Adam Fox belongs in that group of, of players, and he deserves that much. So uh, so yeah, nine 9.5 is good. I guess when you look at the Rangers cap situation though, it's like you you do have a um you know Artemi Panarin's making a lot of money 11 million, 11.6 million to be exact. Um, and then you have uh, Chris Kreider has a long term, a lot of long term. Mika Zibanejad gets extended, who, which we talked about. Yeah, Barclay Goudreau, who's making a couple, um, you know, who gets a, another long term contract. And then on the defensive side of things, you have Jacob Truba making eight million. So they they also have a lot of money to long term players. Um, but like other than Panarin, like, and, and may, I guess you can make a case that's Zibanejad as well. But like other than Panarin and Zibanejad, like you can make a case that Adam Fox is like the most important of those long-term contracts um, to make. So 
Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a deal that you just had to make, but at the same time, it, it is a little bit, you know, it's, I guess it's the same reason that the Leafs have where it's like, okay, now I'm looking at their free agents this year, uh, coming year. They still have to sign Ryan Strom. They still have, uh, Sammy Blaze looks like he's coming into his own. Capo Caco, who knows with him right now, but he's an RFA, um, then you have Georgiev, who's an RFA as well this year. So, so you have like you know Ryan Strom and uh, Kako that you probably want to sign, but it's still I don't know. It seems like it's up in the air there, but maybe it's not as bad as it was for the Toronto Maple Leafs cap situation because they still have eight million left in cap space. But anyways, I'm I'm rambling on here. So, what do you think of this Adam Fox deal, and do you think it's worth it? So, um, similar to Morgan Riley, a great rookie season, um, despite the low ice time. His ice time as a rookie was 18 minutes, 54 seconds per game, just under two minutes per game of power play time. Still got 92 blocks, still got 125 shots on goal, and 42 points, 34 bridge were assists in 70 games. 49-point pace as a rookie, not even playing 19 minutes per game, pretty good stuff. And also at 13 power play points. Finished fourth in Calder voting, so he just says, screw it, I'm going to win the Norris yep. next year. And he did. 102 blocks this time, 102 shots, 47 points, 42 assists, in just 55 games. So that's a 70-point pace. And his ice time jumps almost a full six minutes. He plays 24-42 per game, and his power play time also shoots up to 3.44 per game. So not even, not even two minutes on the nose uh, of power play time as a rookie, and now he's nearing four minutes. He's over four minutes this year in power play time, 24.47 per game, and already playing like an all-around defender. Like everyone I would hope remembers that game against Philly with the Rangers having an empty net, and he just blocks three attempts by the Flyers to ice the game. That's kind of the reckless advantage that Adam Fox plays with. And he's just so deceptive as well. That's what makes him rise above the rest. I also go back to the situation of defensemen getting paid. A lot of those defensemen getting paid, uh, I mentioned more than Morgan Riley. A lot of those have been signed since July 2021, only a couple of months ago. You have Heiskanen getting $8.45 million. The Seth Jones one, obviously. Kale McCarr making $9 million over six years. There was the Hamilton contract, which is 7 by 9 uh, There was Terensky, 8 by 9.583. Darnell Nurse, 8 by 9.25. Um, Quinn Hughes, just under $8 million there over six years. The McAvoy deal. And now Adam Fox gets paid. People are going to look at the Rangers cap situation if we get to the end of the season, if this deal isn't done. And they're just like, you know what? It might be pricey, but we got to offer sheet Adam Fox. Right. Because he is worth that kind of money. So the Rangers were very, very wise to do this kind of thing and get it done quickly. Because now they don't have to worry about Adam Fox going to the highest bidder. He easily could have been offer sheeted this summer if he got there. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I guess he would have been offer-sheeted. And it, it also seems like because all these other defensemen get had their contract extended, it, it feels like 
it was just inevitable that they were going to do that, and you're right that he he probably would have been um, offer sheeted because. But I mean, it, I I think at the same time the Rangers could afford to um, hold on to him because uh, they do have some cap space left. Um, anyway, but I do I do think it does represent like yeah. the idea that if they are going to keep some of the young guys, then contracts like Truba and Kreider, like you mentioned, yeah. at some point will be expendable and. Uh, probably susceptible to buyouts. Right. But where we, we don't see buyouts with the Rangers, that never happens. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, um, anyways, um, then uh, we'll, we'll talk briefly about it because we, we did talk about the Blackhawks last week, but I do want to mention that there is, well, there's kind of two updates. One is that it seems like this is from Alan Walsh, who's the guy who uh, publicly shamed um, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights for getting Robin Leonard and felt like uh, because his uh, agent, um, Mark andre Fleury, was, uh, he felt like he was stabbed in the back with that fo- Photoshop. But... He did mention, and he tweeted it out, that he thinks that he talked to some owners who want Fetman out uh, based off of how he handled, he has handled this Kyle Beach situation. Um, I don't know if there is any credence to it, but I, I, I think it is out there. And I wouldn't be like, I, I do feel like Fetman should um, leave because of it, uh, because of the situation and how horribly he's handled it, especially after that presser. But uh, but I don't I don't think anything's actually going to happen. Um, and then uh, and then the other story from uh, from the aftermath, uh, Jeremy Colleton was uh, let go as well. Um, I guess it, it, like I was reading up on this that like Stan Bowman like thought of the world of Jeremy Colleton after uh, Colleton won the AHL uh, the Cal- the Calder Cup. Um, that one year, um, and, uh, like, it was a lot of, like, professional players <laughs> on that team, so it's like, no duh, he, he, the, that team was gonna win, uh, but, um, so, like, he thought, like, it would be, like, a Bruce Cassidy, Mike Sullivan situation, and it turns out it wasn't, um, <laughs> it was just funny that, like, where, like, Jeremy Colton just gives the guy, uh, the players the, the clipboard and stuff. Um, so, um, just to like, because he had no idea what to do. Um, so, so yeah, I, I guess, uh, Stan Bowman, uh, just, you know, this was Sam Bowman's guy and I guess it's just not a surprise now that Bowman's gone. Uh, Colleton's also gone. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily that Colleton's a bad coach. It's just, he's in a bad situation bad situation and a bad fit i mean you look at patrick kane just take over a game like he did against the sens on monday night and the hawks seem to be on their way to another win they're playing a hurricanes team that's undefeated they're up three to one and they lose the lead lose the game yeah like that it's just the seesaw battle and just like one ray of sunshine gets taken down by a stroke of bad luck and just, just the way things have gone, the Dylan Strome situation to, like, healthy scratched a bunch of times. 
you're at a stage where you need to get the most out of the players, and for whatever reason, Carlton towards the end wasn't able to. And uh, maybe with the Stan Bowen, if he was still there, if the the patience would uh, would would kind of like take them for at least another 15, 20, 25, 30 games, however many, um, right. and they reevaluate things at the end of the year. But maybe the Hawks at this point are thinking, you know what? There's this guy named Shane Wright that's available. Yep. Maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if he did really bad this year. If they were, if they were honestly, if they were, if they wanted to win so bad this year, um, I I don't know much about this Derek King guy, but I feel like they would have gone out and hired like an experienced NHL coach. Um, that's been around the league as the head coach for many years. Derek King seems to be a guy that's been in the game for a fair bit, but um, as far as head coaching experience, I don't recall him coaching an NHL team. So if there was a lot on the line, I I think they probably would have gone for a more veteran um, head coach approach. Instead, they're going to just... They're they're just saying, you know what, come whatever may, we're going to see what happens, and you know what, in this highly touted draft maybe we restock the prospect cupboard and we'll we'll try our luck in the next couple of years and try to get better from there and it might be a tough play but it 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 might be the best play for chicago i like i said a couple of weeks ago when this happened um and the team was starting to struggle uh it's not going to get any better it's probably going to get worse and we're probably going to talk about him um as the weeks roll on because um they, they, they could I, I don't think they're going to be Arizona Coyotes bad but they're going to be bad so here's the thing uh, the Blackhawks better get win one of the two picks because I don't know if you uh, you probably forgot but they don't have their first round pick it's a conditional pick oh that's right so uh, in that Seth Jones thing so like they not only gave up their pick to Columbus this year, um, and Columbus got, ended up getting Cole Sillinger, which they're already regretting, I, I bet. But the next, uh, yeah, this year they have a first-round pick. However, it says that if Chicago wins one of the 20, uh, two, uh, 2022 draft lotteries, the pick becomes the 2023 first-round pick. So they, they could theoretically get Shane Wright, but then that you know the next year they can't get... Um, Connor Bedard. Um, so I mean, if they get one of the two, I guess that's a win. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess they'll settle. Um, but uh, but or like, yeah, but it, yeah, I think you're right though that like I think even though they did go out of their way to get Seth Jones, they also went out and get uh, Mark Andre Fleury. Um, I think it does make the most sense for them to just not. Um, you know, just to just to still continue to rebuild and stuff like that. And maybe I remember you were saying a while ago that like maybe Patrick Kane should get traded. I I I could see Patrick Kane getting traded. I'm now. Um, it's definitely possible. I think I think you I think you have to get whatever value for yep. the guys that you can because in order for Chicago to build a contender, 
Kane and Taves will be near the end of their careers by yep. the time they're ready to win. Well, Kane and Taves both have two years left, so like, yeah, I, I could see Kane maybe and and Taves being like a rental even like next year or in the off season this year, um, or this this next off season. I can't speak. Particularly Kane because he's played some of his best hockey lately. Yep. Like, for, forget this year and this year's what it is so far. The past couple of years have offensively been some of his best seasons that he's ever played. And yep. that was after he won three cups. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Alright, so now we finally get to the main topic. <laughs> um, Jack Eichel finally gets traded. Um, mm-hmm. This feels like this was like a nightmare um, all, all the way through. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it finally happened. There was like I think there was like a rumor the day before that Maddie could chuck um, a, like a first round pick of a former first rounder and like uh, like two prospects from the Calgary Flames um, system were going to get traded uh, for Jack Eichel. And then um, for some reason, like this was from Kevin Weeks, but it seemed like that wasn't actually like there was some holdup and, and then there was doubts of if that actually was the trade because like, if it was, then yeah, <laughs> if I'm Buffalo, I'd take that and run. Um, but, uh, but yeah, instead Buffalo ends up getting Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, um, a 2022 conditional first round pick and a 2023 conditional second round pick. Um, those, um, so the, the conditions are that for, for both first rounds and second rounds, but if Vegas is in, um, is in the top 10, um, this year, then they will transfer the 2022 first round pick to the 2023 first round pick. And then, um, if the second, uh, round pick is um, if the, if they're also in the top ten um, in the twenty twenty two draft picks, then that second round pick will be a twenty twenty four pick instead of a twenty three pick. Um, and then Jack Eichel goes to Vegas and also a twenty twenty three conditional third round pick. And there's also the same kind of condition with if Vegas is in the top ten, then Buffalo will transfer their 2024 third round pick instead of a 2023 third round pick. So, um, so it, it's all based off of the condition that Vegas, um, uh, won't be, um, in the top 10, which is basically, it should be considered the Pierre Dorian rule now, <laughs> like condition. I knew you were going to go there, they, but you're not wrong. But, but it, I think that's what everyone's thinking of it because yep. currently. No, nope, that's what I was thinking too when it happened. Yeah, yep. yeah. Currently, Vegas is um, has 12 points in 11 games. They're fifth in the Pacific Division. Um, they don't have Mark Stone. Um, he's out indefinitely. Uh, Max Pacioretty, I think, is going to be out in February, um, until February. And then you have... Um, uh, and then... Uh, then you... Uh, there was another thing that I was going to say. Um... But I'm blanking on it. Anyways, uh, that means that they have... Uh, let me see if I can do quick math. That means that they have $26 million 
in their long-term injured reserve when you include Jack Eichel with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, who are both on LTIR as well. Um, and who knows when you can get them back. So it is reasonable to believe that Vegas may not end up getting them back. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's still kind of crazy. Um, I guess in that sense, I should start off with the Vegas side of things. Um, so I, I did immediately talk about the long-term injury reserve. Uh, also, in the matter, in terms of their cap situation, um, they have zero cap space left. Um, so that's not great. Um, so, so that means that even though they have $27 million in LTIR, they first have to make the playoffs. Um, you know, if they, if they can Tampa this Kucherov, this thing, um, if they make somehow make the playoffs, but it, it, that doesn't seem likely now. Um, and then once they get everyone healthy, then that means that they have some time to, um, you know, that they, they, they'll have to, like, be on, like, a torrid, hot street place once they get Mark Stone, Max Petretti, and Jack Eichel healthy again. And that's, um, that's pretty risky. So, um, so that, that, that is a little bit concerning if I'm Vegas, but, um, but yeah, it, I guess it's definitely possible, and, you know, and, you know, if you have, like, the top line of Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, and Max Petretti, that's a pretty good top line. So, um, so I, I think it, it could work out for them, but, but because of their injury stuff that, that all three of them have, it's, it's a little bit um, strange. But now they have to do some, like, um, they might have to make some trades in order to make room for all of these players to come back. I guess they could call back, like, some of these players, but... Um, but again, they don't have a ton of cap space, so I, I assume that they're going to have to make some moves um, in order to get Jack Eichel um, on the team. Um, so, so that's the thing that really stands up to me. But on the other hand, Jack Eichel, he had uh, 30, uh, 355 points in 375 games in Buffalo. Um, and this was, uh, this was on a team when Buffalo was the worst team in the league. So um, so that's like he's almost a point-per-game player on a very bad team. Also, not to mention that this, this was like the early 20... Like, he's not even 25 yet. Oh, no, wait, I guess he just turned 25. Um, but, um, but yeah, so it's like he's still, he's still going to be pretty good given the injury risk and all that stuff. So... I think it is definitely worth it. They've been looking for this center for a long time, um, but I think it is definitely going to end up helping them in the long term. It's just like this year it may just be a little bit complicated, so it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a big thing because I'm not sure how long he's going to be ready after this surgery happens. Um, so so that's, that's the part where it's like there is this risk um, issue um, just from an injury standpoint, but, um, yeah, I, I think I like this move a lot for them, but before I get into the Buffalo side of things and what they got, um, what do you think of Jack Eichel to Vegas? So first off, there were some other takers and, um, 
that obviously we're interested in Jack Eichel's services. Jack Eichel himself, in a conversation with Elliot Friedman a few days after the trade, mentioned there's one point in the summer where he thought, I might be going to Minnesota. And there's another point where we thought, Colorado, you know, that could work. And the Flames were apparently interested from the get-go. According to the folks at TSN, uh, Pierre Lebrun said... um, Matthew Kachuk, not true that he was part of any offer from the Calgary Flames. There's also Sean Monaghan's name tossed around. First off, if either one of them was involved, you have a situation where if you get Matthew Kachuk, he's a pending RFA with a lot of leverage. And as we saw with Calgary a couple of years ago, not necessarily easy to negotiate with the Kachuk camp. You have a very short period of time to really convince Matthew Kachuk to stay on board. And with Monaghan, he would be a UFA in 2023, so you even have less time to really win him over and show him the perks of playing on a rebuilding Sabres team. So I think with this deal, Vegas um, the Vegas had to give up a bit more certainty to, to Buffalo, which, which I'll get back to later. Carolina apparently was also involved, but uh, apparently... Um, the Sabres wanted either Seth Jarvis or Martin Nekesh as part of the package, and they were just like, bye, have a great day. Yep. And the rest is history from there. But on a, oh, on a oh. counterpoint, uh, Vegas did also publicly say that Pian Krebs is untradeable. So, uh, so yeah. not, it's not like... I'm, I'm sure if, if uh, Carolina or if uh, Buffalo pushed, uh, maybe Carolina does something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is mostly Vegas wanting Jack Eichel because yep. you look at the division that Vegas is in. They think they have a realistic shot at not only winning the division, but winning the Western Conference and going to the finals. Yep. And they feel like they're just one piece away. You have a stable defense. You have a pretty solid second line. You have a pretty respectable top line as well. Your goaltending, for the most part, looks pretty good. The coach behind the bench has been able to get results with this roster. The coach before that was able to get results from this roster. If you're Vegas ownership, you're Vegas management, you're pretty convinced that Jai Geichel can be that guy that puts you over the top. Yep. Buffalo was in a situation where any team could play hardball with them, right till draft day and automatically Buffalo loses all leverage in a Jack Eichel situation. And if you woo Jack Eichel over with your product enough, it could be a situation where Jack Eichel calls a shot and is like, I want to play for this team. Yeah. And the Sabres have no choice but to respect his wishes. Cause you, you look at everything that happened with Buffalo and we'll get to that. So when we talk about the Buffalo side of things, Jack Eichel is probably never going to play a game for the Sabres. Yep. Yeah. So the best way for Buffalo to get any sort of value was to trade Jack Eichel right now. They were backed into a corner. But you know what? Vegas probably felt that they needed Jack Eichel. So they're just like, I know you're in a particular spot, but we really want Jack Eichel. Give us, give us Jack Eichel now, please. Right. And they were willing to, again, trade a very good prospect that they didn't want to trade initially. Uh, pretty good top six forward. And two key picks of their future. Because for Vegas, they don't really care about the future. They care about the present. 
some of the trades, some of the signs that they've made, it clearly shows they're in win-now mode and they're not messing around. They're going for it. They're yep. straight up going for it. They don't care about this surgery or how many variations of the surgery that there is or what could go bad or what could go good with it. They're taking a risk with Jack Eichel, but they have taken so many risks with some of the other trades that they've made. And it looks like uh, they could be on the losing end of some of those risks if, if things don't pan out. Yep. But to them, again, if they win the Stanley Cup, who cares? They, they want the cup within that five-year or six-year window that Bill fully promised, and it seems they're hell-bent to do everything they can to get it. When you look at Jack Eichel as a player, you're looking at a reliable number one center, which they need. You're looking at a guy that in his first six seasons, and he probably does it if he has a healthier campaign last year, only played 21 games and got nine power play points. Jack Eichel, in his first six seasons, or sorry, his first five, got at least 20 power play points. And there were a couple of times where he got at least 10 power play goals. Yep. Vegas's power play sucks. Like, it, it's bad. There, there was a tweet against um, during the game against Montreal where they got absolutely manhandled. And they've gotten manhandled at uh, various points during this uh, Canadian road trip that they have going on in Eastern Canada. Um, and I, I kid you not, I saw this stat that said Vegas is like over their last 36 on the power play since June, whatever. Mm-hmm. That to me is mind boggling. When the team is tweeting out, think of something positive like mozzarella sticks, maybe it'll help our power play score a goal. Right, right. Like, you have all of this star power and you can't score the power play. Like, holy hell. That, that shouldn't be possible. And yet, for whatever reason, they can't get it done the power play. So they're looking at a number one center that they desperately need. He checks that box. You're looking for a dynamic offensive player. He's gotten, at worst, 55 points in a season. At best, around 60, 70, 80 when he's on his game. Check. You're looking at a guy that can get power play results. Check. And you're looking at a guy that a couple of seasons ago was top 10 in Hart Trophy voting. Yep. Because he played so well on a bad team. He even got 300 shots for the Sabres in 2018-19. He got 303 that year. So there's no doubt that if they're getting the jack angle that they think they're getting, they're laughing all the way to the bank. The one thing that really concerns me about the Vegas Golden Knights is they take on every single penny that's left of that Jack Eichel contract. Buffalo did not retain a dime on this. And that was the big thing for them. Yep. They said, we're not retaining any salary on this Jack Eichel trade. You're you're getting every single cent. And Vegas bought it. Yep. And now, when one of Stone, Pacioretty, and Eichel, one of those three, gets off the waiver wire, they're going to be over the cap. And that also tells me that they're going to have to make some very tough decisions with their roster, and it also tells me they're fine with it. Yep. And that's probably going to be tough for a lot of the fans to take, and they're probably going to see some more members of the Golden Misfits from that inaugural season head out the door because of them getting another star player. Yeah, no, I know. That's the thing that's 
going to be kind of interesting now uh, until we see Jack Eichel on the ice is how are, how is the Vegas Golden Knights going to manage this, um, like, this cap situation? Because they're going to have to make a cap dump move, um, and I'm not necessarily sure how they're going to do it, really. Um, I, I guess... going to be more than one big cap Yeah, dump yeah, move of course. If it's not just one. I mean, like, right off the bat, Riley Smith and Evgeny Dadanoff both make $5 million a apiece. So you could just trade those guys and then get those pieces, but then it's like who like everyone knows that Vegas needs caps cap room, so that it's not gonna be like an easy thing. They're probably gonna say like, oh, get uh, Jonathan Marchessault, who also makes five million, um, and then it's like, well, <laughs> then what's the point of getting Jack Eichel if you can't have Jack uh, Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith, because then your depth is is bad. So it's, it, it, it does make it a little strange. And not to mention the fact that Vegas isn't doing so hot right now. Um, as I just mentioned, there, there is a good chance that they might not even make the playoffs even once they do get Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and Eichel back on the ice because uh, it just might not be soon enough. So they're in a tricky position right now because uh, they, they really have to hope that Jack Eichel is ready right off the bat and he hasn't even skated in two years, so so there is definitely some concern for this year. I, I wouldn't have so much concern for them next year, though, uh, just because then it's like they're finally figuring things out. But at the same point, it you know, just like, you know, you have Jack Eichel, you finally have your center. It's still a little odd. Uh, before we get to Buffalo, though, I, I do want... I, I forgot to mention another thing, a component to this or factor to this. Um, in order to get uh, Mark Stone, uh, Vegas traded Nick uh, Eric Brandstrom, who is a 2017 draft pick. Uh, they also traded, I think they traded a couple of picks. Uh, you, I forget the full details, but uh, there is that. Uh, when they got Max Pacioretty, they traded uh, a first-round pick, and they also traded Nick Suzuki. I'm sure they regret that one. Uh, this time, they traded Peyton Krebs. And a couple of years of Thomas Tatar. Don't Thomas that. Tatar is another one, yeah. Although, I don't necessarily count that one. But, but yeah, for, for the purposes, they, they tend to always trade Still their futures. Still put up good embers in Montreal, yeah. though. Yep, yep, and then uh, and then they trade Peyton Krebs, who's like who's and we're about to talk about him, but he looks like he's going to be a he had a really good prospect pool like a year in the WHL. In fact, he was like the player of the year in the WHL um, last year. But uh, so he he's also going to be pretty good, and that's who they ended up trading for for Jack Eichel. So it's like yes, I would rather have Jack Eichel patch, patches and Stone. Um, instead of Suzuki, Krebs, and Brandstrom. But at the same time, that's going to, like, you know, maybe in five years, that's going to, like, um, really uh, affect them <laughs> um, in a negative way. Because it's, uh, I mean, yes, Jack Eichel's still pretty young, and, and Mark Stone's relatively young as well. But, um, but yeah, it, it's still, like, kind of, uh, crazy considering that they just keep on trading their prospects just to get um, the, like their superstar players and I guess it has worked out for them but I, I wouldn't call it a success 
all three of those success until they win a Stanley Cup, and who knows if that's actually going to happen or not. Um, so, so it, yeah, I think I think overall, yeah. I think overall, if I have to give him a grade, it would be a solid B. But yeah. I'm not I'm not putting that on pen. I'm putting that in pencil because that could easily change. Well, we'll talk about we we do have we're going to give grades at the end. But yes, <laughs> I, I I could see that uh, being the case there. Um, yeah. Oh, and the other thing, because I'm not sure how I'm going to get this um, in, but um, I'm not sure if you've thought about this, Steve, and I don't think I emailed this to you. Uh, what does Sam Reinhart, Jack Eichel, Patrick Laine, and Nolan Patrick have in common? They're all second overall selections. Yes, but more to that. I guess there were two things. There were, oh, 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 okay. They were all, all right. second overall selections that got traded. In the last m- a year. <laughs> Not only, in the last, yeah, that's right. Not only were they all traded in the last year, too. So it's like, that means that wow. I, I don't think Andre Sveshnikov, who was the 2018 uh, second overall pick, or Alex Barkov, who was the 2013 second overall pick are going to get traded anytime soon, but watch out guys. <laughs> um, um, maybe, uh, Kako gets traded, um, or I feel gets traded. Veneers, yeah. That veneers maybe. Yeah, that's possible too. Um, but, but I thought that was like, it's, it's a strange coincidence, but it, it, Kako, it is Kako could be on that list too. If he I, I think I mentioned Kako. Yeah. I could actually see Kako, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like Sveshnikov and Barkov are the least likely, uh, to get yeah. traded. Um, especially since Sveshnikov is like, he might be, a, he might win the Rocket Richard this year. Um, all right. So, so now we'll go to Buffalo. Um, and then we'll give a grade out for both teams. Um, so they ended up getting, um, Alex Tuck, um, who, uh, uh, ended up, so he's, he's still injured, but, uh, last year, or in the 2020-2021 uh, season, uh, he had uh, 33 points in 56 games. Um, and then um, in previous years, he had 17 points in 42 games. Um, I think it, it is impressive that, um, or he had like 52 points in 74 games um, in the 2018-2019 season. And then the first year um, that Vegas was in existence, uh, he had 37 points in 78 games. I think it's more impressive, though, last year where he had 18 goals in 55 games. That's, like, probably the equivalent of, like, 30 goals in a full season. Um, or almost 30 goals. I'm not sure if I did my math right there. But uh, but that's that's pretty good. Um, and he's also from uh, upper New York, uh, upper state New York, uh, Syracuse to be exact. And he's also 25 years old, so around the same age as Jack Eichel is. Um, so, so that, that's kind of, um, like that's, that's something at least like he, he's a player and and can fit into their lineup right away. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not sure if his, let me look at his cap situation. Um, oh, he's a UFA till 2026, 27. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but only $4.75 million. So that's not, not terrible. Um, as for, 
Peyton Krebs. I just mentioned that uh, he was the WHL Player of um, the Year. Um, he won that award. And um, it makes sense because he had 43 points in 24 games, which is almost two points per game, um, which is uh, pretty insane. Um, I, I think, let me look at uh, the WH, my Elite Prospects page is running slow, but I would imagine he had the most points in the WHL last year. Um, this past year, uh, he did play, while I wait, um, he did play nine games for Vegas and had zero points. He also played uh, some games in, um, yeah, he did uh, get the most points in the WHL. Um, hold on. My screen is not working. My internet's slow. Um, <laughs> but anyways, he did have five points in the, uh, sorry, two points in five games for the AHL. Um, and I think he's played in Rochester as well, but he hasn't scored yet. Um, but he only played one game. Oh, wait a second. He had five assists in two games for Henderson Silver Knights and zero points in one game uh, for Rochester. So, yeah, so in three games in the AHL, he had five points um, and all of them were assists. Uh, so... Yeah, so so that's that's pretty good, um, to say the least. Um, and you know, obviously, you never really know what's going to happen with um, you know once they get into the league and how he's going to develop there. But but that's that's a pretty good uh, you know he, that's like clearly one of the better players. Um, and, you know, he has a lot of high promise for him. And, and obviously, I don't, like, I know everyone's going to compare him to Jack Eichel. Um, and I get that. But, at the same token, it's it's definitely, um, it's, it's, it's definitely, like, you know, someone that I could see working out in, in, like, five years. We could say, like, oh, Peyton Krebs, like, he, he's, like, a, He's a very, very, very good player. He's like a top 50, top 25 player in the league. Um, and and that's, that, that's definitely very possible. Um, the thing that's also interesting, though, with Buffalo is that they have Dylan Cousins in the system. They have Casey Middlestad in the system. Um, Jack Quinn, who's uh, been pretty good, but he's a winger. But, like, I am curious to see what where they see Peyton Krebs in the future being uh, like, I guess he does play some left wing, but like, do they think of him more as a center or do they think like Dylan Cousins and Casey Middlestad are more centers than, than Peyton Krebs is. Um, so that, that will be the interesting part of it for well, for sure. But at least it's something. And then the other standpoint from Buffalo's side of things is because of the, like the first round picks and it doesn't, and it's very. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Vegas doesn't make the playoffs. Uh, they could be, you know, that that first round pick um, could be pretty good for them as well. And I'm also looking here. They also have a Florida, the Florida pick from the Sam Reinhart deal. So that's also pretty nice as well. Um, so yeah, I I I I think it's like obviously it's not Matty Kachuk. Um, or 
like, you know, Calgary's prospect system is probably better than, or is better than Vegas's prospect system. Um, so, like, you probably would rather have Matthew Coronado or Connor Zeri. But at the same token, I, I don't think it was a terrible trade for them. It was much better than the Taylor Hall trade or the um, or the Sam Reinhardt trade. So I, I I do give them some kudos for that that standpoint that um, that it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great either. It wasn't great because of the return. Like when you look at the Eric Carlson return, for example, and you look yeah. at some of the other trades, the Sens got more pieces. For an Eric Carlson rental than Buffalo did for Jack Eichel with four years left beyond the season at $10 million per year. Yep. And I think part of the reason is because of that cap hit, because of the no-move clause attached to Jack Eichel's contract. They didn't have, like we've mentioned before, as much flexibility as people think. Yep. They were put in a very tough position. Kevin Adams, in particular, as a GM in your first couple of years, like, this is trial by fire to the highest degree. Mm. And it, I I don't think he fleeced Vegas, but he got he got decent value for Jack Eichel. Yep. He got, and he got more certainty, I think. You, you have the chance to convince a young player like Peyton Krebs that... Buffalo's a great place to play. You're going to love it here. This is your future. And Alex Tuck, going from a team like Vegas to a team like Buffalo, is probably something that a lot of people go, oh, man, really? Right. Really, this team? This guy is from upstate New York, loved the Sabres, and considers it an honor to wear this jersey, despite how bad they are. That is ultimately what you want to hear as a Sabres fan, as a member of the Sabres front office, if you're the Pagoulas. You want guys that are invested in this team, will run through a wall for this team, want to be key members of the community, and want to be a difference maker. They want to play here. Alex Tuck, by all accounts, seems like that guy. Jack Eichel, at the start, seemed like he was ready to give it his all. And... In his interview with Elliot Freeman, he looks like a guy that was kind of disengaged towards the end. It sounded like that things had run its course in Buffalo and it just wasn't going to work out. Before they signed Taylor Hall, he, he actually approached management and was like, I don't really know about this idea of a rebuild. If we go down that route, you mm -hmm. might you guys might be better off just moving me and like getting picks and prospects or whatever. And they were set off by that. So they went out and they got Taylor Hall and, you know, they did what they could to try to keep Jack Eichel on board. And then things went very, very south. But, you know, it blessed both sides of the party. They tried to make things work in Buffalo. It just didn't work out. So now both sides made the best option, which was move their separate ways. And it seemed that Jack Eichel's party, once the whole issue with the dealing of his injury came about at the end of the year presser, that was kind of Jack Eichel slowly tuning out his career with the Buffalo Sabres. And then when the team 
stripped him of his captaincy, in my opinion, they essentially did the same thing. Yep. They want guys that want to play for this team. Alex Tuck can do that. And he seems very happy. And you saw in Jack Eichel's tweet, it's, it, it, it sounded like Antonio Brown being released by the Oakland oh, yeah. Raiders and going, I'm free! And he had a Photoshop of him in a Vegas uniform, like, ready yes. to go. To, to be fair, I did see on his Instagram that he he did eventually say thank you, Buffalo, and its fans, but um, that was like he a day did. later. <laughs> he did, in fairness, but Alex Tuck's yeah. first reaction on Twitter yeah. was thanking Vegas and saying, Buffalo, I'm pumped to play yeah. in your city, yeah. and I'm really, really looking forward to being a saver. So um, they get a good player like Alex Tuck, no Jack Eichel by any means, but a very serviceable top six forwards that I think could bring a lot to the table in the right situation. Yep. Um, Peyton Krebs, obviously a young prospect. Yeah, and with Dylan Cousins. Um, I think there's a lot of hype there. The key that separates this being a good trade from this being a very solid trade is Buffalo's ability to draft. And people cringe when I say that because we know their track record. It hasn't really been good beyond the first round, and sometimes in the first round it hasn't been great either. But if they hit on that conditional first and conditional second, oh boy, the Sabres are back in business. Right. So, again, given the circumstances, they could have done worse. So, for for Buffalo, for Kevin Adams, I, I, I like the haul that they got. I will say that I think, because um, I remember back when Eric Carlson was traded, you weren't impressed with the return. I mean, you were a little bit biased. Yeah. You were a little bit biased. Yeah, I, was, I was wrong. Yeah, I yeah. I was wrong in hindsight. But, but yeah, in hindsight. So I, I could see this end up working out, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that like it's very possible Vegas may not end up making the playoffs this year and who knows with this Jack Eichel surgery because it's very possible Buffalo was right that Jack Eichel shouldn't have had that surgery and, and so who knows about that um, I do have one question for you um, do you think that if Buffalo allowed Jack Eichel to have this surgery do you think they would have uh, the the return for Jack Eichel would have been more than what it was Really? Okay. I, I was saying that I, I think it would be. I, I think that that played a huge part in in why they um, they couldn't do it um, or why they uh, couldn't um, do it. Because a, a lot of teams, like I, I think I heard reports that a ton of teams were skeptical because they didn't want Jack Eichel to have that surgery either. Um, and I, I think that like limits your ability and cause they don't know what Jack Eichel is going to be after the surgery. I mean, and then you take into account the fact that, um, the 10 million stuff and you were saying like how they refuse to retain any of the salary. I, I, I think, I think a lot of it had to do with the injury stuff. So I'm taking that into account when I eventually do have a grade that like, yeah, it would be nice to have Matthew Kachuk. It would be nice to have all these different prospects and, and, pa- and picks, but at the same time, like, the Sabres, um, I, I don't want to swear, but they they messed, <laughs> they messed this whole situation, like, two years ago. Uh, they should have let Jack Eichel have this surgery and, and do what the Blues are doing with Tarasenko, like, pr- letting everyone, all the NHLers, 
see that Tarasenko still has some left, and then eventually he could be getting traded. Um, whereas for Jack Eichel, they just didn't, like, just let him rot and not skate at all and, and not let him get the surgery that he wants. And, and I think that cost him because now it's like the return isn't that great. Um, but, like, you know, Peyton Krebs could be amazing. Uh, Alex Tuck, it does seem like he wants to be there. And, of course, Jack Eichel doesn't want to be there. And I'm sure that also played in, into it uh, as well as why teams didn't want to, uh, want to bid so much for a guy who's unhappy and is going to quit on his team. Whatever for whatever reason. Now, now that now that you got me thinking a little bit, I will say maybe a little bit, okay. but I don't think it it moves the needle that much. Oh, I I think it. Bit, I I think that was the biggest factor in this whole thing. Like if if Jack Eichel was healthy, um, if Jack Eichel was healthy, um, I I think uh, Jack Eichel would have like uh, would have gotten an even bigger return than than what they had. Because they essentially just had no leverage, and that was a big reason why. Because they couldn't, uh, he couldn't, like, he refused to skate. And um, the whole, you know, like, there was that whole drama with it. So I I, I think that was a big reason for it. It, it, I think it also depends on the eye of the beholder. Yep. And, like, how badly they want Jack Eichel, too. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's ultimately why Vegas did it. Um, and, and obviously Jack Eichel's a talented player, but I think the whole reason why this like took so long was because Buffalo made the wrong decision (laughs) at the start. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of this, like, yeah, they could have gotten more, but it it is their own fault for, for not getting more. Um, so also, also to get back to your point about the Carlson trade, what I, in particular was not really liking was the fact the immediate roster players I don't think it was a big enough haul what ends up making the Carlson trade better is Josh Norris and the pick that turned into Tim Stutzla but like that's what made that trade was those two picks but you can make the case Buffalo was wise to go on future for that reason but you can make the case like Hayden Krebs could have the same impact that Josh Norris has or even greater um on on Buffalo so um and he has that potential, and you know, and yeah, you're right, and and there's also a possibility that, uh, like we mentioned, that Vegas misses the playoffs because of all these injuries, um, and uh, and and maybe like <laughs> maybe they miss the playoffs again next year, um, and and then you have the same kind of situation with Eric Carlson. Speaking of which, um, where yeah. um, where the Sharks are bad for two straight years, um. It's like the GMs don't learn from their mistakes. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, I, I think you're right, though, because we've been talking about how Vegas needs needed, like, another second line, uh, another center. Because I don't think, like, Ch- Chandler Stevenson is all right, but he's not a first-line center. Um, so, yeah. so, like, yeah, the, like, uh, it's, it's going to be hell to pay for this, for this cap situation for, that Vegas got in, themselves into. But I, I think it is definitely worth it, and it's going to make them better in the long run. And yeah, as much as I'm, I'm saying that they probably wish they had Nick Suzuki, Peyton Krebs looks like he's going to be a good prospect, um, and all that stuff. 
but I, I don't think they're going to regret not having Jack Eichel unless, I mean, I guess there is one chance maybe with like if the injury is that bad and he's not the same player but um but I, don't, I feel like that's unlikely to happen but we'll see i also want to to point out before we go into the grading stuff and and whatever else uh, i checked the ahl standings and stat sheets on i think it was thursday night and who's third in ahl scoring Eighth overall draft pick, yep. Jack Quinn. Yep. Twenty twenty. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Their 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 prospects beyond Peyton Krebs are are still doing pretty well, um, and Jack Quinn I think was uh, I think at a goal per game pace at that point. So, um, yeah, watch out for Jack Quinn. What he, and see what he does uh, with the Americans this year. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, okay. So in terms of grades. Um, I guess we'll start off with Vegas because we started them off in this breakdown. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right that you, you kind of spoiled the pick, but I, I think you're right. Um, I, I think I would give them a B. Um, I would have given them an A if, if it's not for the fact that, like, there is still some question marks on how they're going to make this work cap-wise. Um, also, there's not really a guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs. Um, so, so yeah, for that reason, I give them a B. Um, yeah, I guess we'll do both of them at the same time because uh, you did spoil the pick. Uh, and then for Buffalo, I'll give them a B minus. Um, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, and yes, they they screwed up this whole thing, and they would have gotten a lot more if they allowed Jack Eichel to get that surgery. Um, and, and maybe retain some of the contract. Um, and the fact that they didn't have, you know, Jack Eichel didn't want to be there. The fact that he's, he has a no movement clause uh, the next year. So they kind of had to trade him this year. Um, so so that then they lose all this leverage. So given all that, all those factors, I'm going to give them a B minus uh, just because I, I think like, like, you know, Peyton Krebs could be a pretty good prospect, and that first-round pick could be, uh, like, in the top half um, eventually, maybe. So, um, so yeah, I'm, gonna give, I'm gonna giving them a B-minus. Should also be noted that in that article from TSN where they uh, broke down uh, the potential suitors down to the wire in the Jack Eichel sweepstakes, apparently yep. Arizona might have swooped in Ooh, to, to get a draft pick and retain salary to help facilitate the trade, but apparently Vegas did on their own. And that's uh, part of the reason why I didn't give them a higher grade, unless it was like Arizona saying, yeah, we'll take on salary, but you give us a first. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then, then uh, probably Vegas would look even worse at that point. But if and I'm not really sure why Buff. Oh, oh, you mean like, like they would give Buffalo a first, and then they would also give Arizona a first. Yeah, like uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Arizona would get a first. They're told to take on salary. Yeah, yeah I could see why uh, Vegas didn't do that then. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, uh, depending on what the return is, what that would be, um, if it was for the right price and they yeah. got another team to take on salary, I probably would agree with them a bit higher. But like I said, my grades are going to be in pencil, not pen, because I definitely think this could change I mean, for yeah. either side. 
Um, for Vegas, I'd say solid B because, again, they're getting an all-star player. In theory, they're getting power play production. In theory, they're getting a game-changing player that should be fully healthy and very motivated. And like you said in that interview with Elliot Freeman, he's just excited to be a hockey player yep. again. He's tired of sitting on the sidelines. He wants to play. So I think it could be a match made in heaven for Eichel in Vegas. Uh, that being said, given the circumstances, I like what Buffalo did. But I also think, uh, Brett, your assessment of B-minus is what I would give them to. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't knock it out of the park, but they also didn't do too bad. So, yeah. yeah. Solid B for Vegas, uh, and for Buffalo, i give it B-minus. It is weird, though, because it's like, I, I feel like I should... I was leaning towards maybe a C-plus because they did put this all on them, themselves. Because they, if they had allowed them him to get the surgery, I think, uh, you know, this this trade would have been a lot grander. Um, and also, like, not to mention the fact that, like, we just heard this, this story, the deal of, like, Kachuk maybe going to Buffalo and this, like, huge deal of, like, picks and prospects all coming the way to Jack Eichel. And then you're like, oh, and then you see, like, it's, oh, it's just a couple of picks and, and like, a pro player and a prospect. It's like, okay, that's not that great. Uh, compared to, like, Matty Kachuk, who's, like, a really good player right now. Um, so, so yeah, I, I feel like just because it's like, okay, well, it's not that Calgary deal. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, and then I definitely think it could be a C plus if that third pick, uh, third round pick that they gave to Vegas also turns into an all-star, but (laughs) that remains to be seen. We'll see. Right, right, right. Um, okay. So Jack Eichel has, uh, Five more years left on this contract. Do you think Vegas can win the cup with Eichel in those five years? I think they can, assuming everything falls into place. Um, They have to do it within the next two, though. Yeah. Because that is where their cap flexibility slowly starts to run out. Yeah. Um, and then the Pacioretty contract runs out. You get into his mid to late thirties. Um, you have Robin Leonard going into those thirties by then. So the next two years in particular are the ones that I'm watching for Vegas, especially with their division with a lot of question marks there. I think the next two years are probably their time to strike. After that, it's anyone's guess what the California teams look like. Uh, the Canadian team shake up what you have with Seattle there. When the cap starts to really crunch down on that Golden Ice roster uh, within that next two-year window, um, you're going to see uh, top six forwards uh, dropping like flies. And that's when their prospect depth is going to be tested. So if you're asking within the next five years if they're going to win a Stanley Cup with Eichel, it has to be within the next two, or they don't win it at all. Yeah, yeah, I I could see that, especially since, um, since uh, um, Pacioretty is going to be a free agent in two years. So, so yeah, I I, I think I agree with you that they they could win the cup. I I'm not gonna guarantee it, but I I think they they have a. They have a good shot at doing it. Um, it also, I guess, it depends on what these cap dump trades are gonna entail, because um, that could certainly affect everything. But, um, but yeah, for now, I could see it happening. But, um, 
but yeah, I, I don't know if it's like a hundred percent likely. Um, can you imagine the plot twist that Buffalo wins the Stanley Cup before Vegas? Yeah, that'd be funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I do know that uh, Victor, uh, he's uh, you know he's a, a friend of the program. Um, he uh, he hates Vegas, and <laughs> he it, um, so it, it is funny how um, and he's just saying like he can't wait till uh, Vegas doesn't win the cup. Because he, he like and, he, and now he has to like hate Jack Eichel, whereas for me it's the opposite. Uh, you, you just yeah. brought up a very interesting point. I I've been meaning to mention this. Everyone's going to be mad at the fact that you're not going to see Jack Eichel and Austin Matthews nearly as often. That's fine. Yeah. McDavid and Eichel are in the same. Division, oh yeah, good point. And they're going to be facing off four times a year now. Yeah. How point. amazing is that? Well, that that was the exciting part of seeing him in Calgary is because then the Battle of Alberta would be re, um, would be even greater at that point. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, just having him in the same division is is pretty cool too. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but it, but for me, from a Bruins fan's perspective, it's like this guy is, you know, he grew up in Boston or in Chelmsford. Which is nearby Boston, um, and uh, and like when he was drafted by Buffalo, I was just like, ah, I, like he's just gonna be in the division. I, I, I can't do it. And then um, so now I, I'm looking forward to cheering him on, just like I I did for Mark Stone and uh, Max Pacioretty. So um, okay, uh, another another question. This is uh, totally off the cuff, but I'll yep. ask it to you anyway. As a Bruins fan. If Jack Eichel is fully healthy, exceeds all expectations, he's exactly the player you thought he was. In five years, when his contract expires, should the Bruins sign him? Yes oh, or no? that's that's not even a quite like is that a serious question? Like, of course. Yeah, yeah. serious question. Regardless of where the Bruins are at. Oh, oh, team, oh! I see what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think... At, will they sign Jack Eichel? Do you think they should sign God, Jack Eichel? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, it's like, yes, of course, I, I would rather have Jack Eichel. But I do but see what you're saying. price tag, you don't care. Oh, yeah, I, I would I would take him on. But I, I do see what you're saying is, like, I I don't think the Bruins will be a contender in five years. But... But, 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 I, I think one... The only advantage that we have with Jack Eichel is the fact that he grew up a Bruins fan. So I, I th- like so I, I think he could come home to Boston um, in five years. And, and yeah, I would love to have him, um, even if we are rebuilding. Because then if you're saying if he, if he meets expectations in Vegas, that means he has a cup. <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, so he, he brings the experience to a rebuilding team. Um, and what... He'll be uh, 30 years old at that point. So, yeah, I, I, I think he still would have some some uh, some skill left in him. And, yeah, I, I, I would I would gladly take Jack Eichel on, um, even if we are rebuilding and, and all that stuff. But, yeah, I would, I would gladly take him on. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the only rebuilding market he would go to is if it was a chance to play at home. Yep, and, and, I mean, and it's it like depends on how much he wants to win. If he's if he's won a Stanley Cup, then yes. But if he hasn't, yep. a different story. I don't think it's as convincing of a sell. I, I feel like I'm like <laughs> I do wonder if like Arizona or Boston are like planning their 
um, their long-term plans on trying to lure Eichel or Matthews into their, their program. Just, it depends where Arizona's yeah. at. If Arizona's oh, like, I, still digging themselves out of the I have, there's no shot. I have a theory that the reason why Arizona's doing this right now is because they plan on getting Austin Matthews interested in, in a couple of years. Um, AKA building up draft picks, getting yeah. all these young guys exactly. and say, "Hey, play for us." If yeah, if they, if they get if they get Shane right, they're, they're like they're that much closer to landing Austin Matthews when he's uh he's ready. Um, so yeah, I I do wonder if like you know maybe it's like Boston's like thinking like okay, he'll have Taylor Hall, he'll have David Pasternak, we have to you, you, Charlie McAvoy. These are all like you know, Charlie Coyle went to BU. Uh, Matt Grizzlick went to BU with uh, Jack Eichel. It's like, I, I feel like it, it's going to happen. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now purely campaigning it. Um, all right. Anyways, that about does it for us here at Lace Them Up on that note. Oh, I guess the other thing, too, on, on, on the other note. It is, it is funny that, like, Mark Stone uh, was on Ottawa... Max Pacioretty was on Montreal. Jack Eichel was on Buffalo. Um, Jonathan Marcheseau, Riley Smith were on Florida. I guess Gerard Gallant were on Florida. So now it's like <clears throat> Boston, Detroit, Ottawa, uh, not Ottawa, uh, Tampa, and Toronto are the only four teams in the Atlantic Division that haven't uh, sacrificed something to Vegas. Um, I mean, so it's, <laughs> it'll be funny. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure something will happen where. Eventually, Vegas just builds a super team of all the Atlantic Division players. They'll like probably change. get someone from Tampa, but mostly because it's a cap dump. Right, 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 right. Of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, it, it could be the same for Toronto with their cap issues, too. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, that about does it here. Um, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can also subscribe to us and follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast. Uh, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Belzer. We'll talk again in episode 294 of the Lace Em Up podcast. <laughs>